0: Hello you cat and dog people, this is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to manage the relationships between their own pets. but kind of having a twist. So stay tuned to figure out what I mean by that. So our guest today is Kayla Fratt. Kayla has a bachelor's degree in ecology from Colorado College. She has studied ecological sampling techniques ranging from mist netting bats in Ecuador to plant surveys in Panama to electroshocking fish in Wisconsin. Honestly, she's like the coolest person ever with such an adventurous background. It's awesome. She's always been passionate about both animal training and conservation biology. In fact, one of the first animals she ever trained was an orphaned American kestrel she taught to fly and hunt. I mean, not your typical dog trainer background. (laughs) After college, Kayla worked in a variety of dog-related jobs, including at one of the USA's largest animal shelters. There, she adopted barley, and they embarked on their journey together enrolled in a nosework class and Kayla spent years learning how to apply the basic principles of canine nosework to conservation biology. Kayla was a finalist for a Fulbright to study the selection of conservation detection dogs, but she had a, other ideas in mind. She just withdrew. She was like, you know what? I don't need a Fulbright. I'm going to go <laughs> take a job as a conservation detection dog handler in 2019. And she started her... Um, canine conservationists in late 2020. She is also an IABC certified dog behavior consultant and is extremely dedicated to effective and humane dog training methods. I mean, guys, coolest person ever, honestly. Um, Now she also has another dog named Niffler. And so when she is not training Barley or Niffler, you can find Kayla cross country skiing or doing jigsaw puzzles and also she now lives fully in a van, which we will definitely talk about, with her two high-energy dogs. So, hi, Kayla. I am so excited to talk with you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to be here. So, before we dive into our chat, let's do a quick little icebreaker that people who have listened to this podcast before know that I am notoriously crappy at, but I enjoy it. So, Let's play a little round of two truths and a lie about Kayla. And I will try to guess what the lie is along with all of you who are listening. Um,
1: And I'm ready when you are, Kayla. Sure. So my two truths and a lie are, one, that I was born with an extra boneless finger attached to my hand. Two, that I once fell asleep at a Bass Nectar concert. Bass Nectar being uh, notoriously loud electronic artist, and three, that I have treated an Olympian for an epileptic seizure.
0: Those all sound so plausible in your world. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the
1: mm, falling asleep at a concert. Nope, I did do that once. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, my sister was the one who was born with 11 fingers, not me. I'm
0: like one for 10 at this point. So (laughs) good job, me. Yay. Keeping the streak alive. Um, It's so hard. It's so hard, especially when you, you know, have just like such out there things to, to tell me. So
1: yeah, who can you tell me who the Olympian was? Um, you wouldn't know him <laughs> uh, probably. He didn't medal. He was an Olympic speedwalker that I went to undergrad with. Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yep, um, yeah, we were sharing a hotel room at a chemistry conference, and um, he had a seizure. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was the one I was the one who woke up when he hit his head um, on the bathtub.
0: I'm so. sounds like he's okay.
1: Yeah, he's fine. Um, it was, um,
0: yeah. <laughs> these are uh, these are very interesting facts. I, I can't wait to yeah. like
1: see All the and honestly, it was funny because honestly, treating an epileptic seizure, I was I was an EMT at the time. I'm now expired. Um, you know, he was he was fine. Like it was it was just you know getting him up, giving him water. Like he was already done by the time like I because I like heard the thud and spent a while thinking before I went in. Because it was, you know, 3 a.m. or something.
2: Right.
1: So You had to get through um, the fog.
0: Yeah. So now that we know awesome things about you, I want to kind of dive into this episode since I think it's going to mm-hmm. be slightly different um, on theme to what other episodes have been. Because you currently do not have cats. You live correct in a van with your two dogs. So yes. you might say... Uh, Naomi, why are we talking to kayla on a cat dog show um you just got the border collie bros um so (laughs) so (laughs) let's talk a little bit about your history with dogs and cats and what Mm -hmm. experience you have with cats so people can understand why we're talking to you today
1: yeah (laughs) so if we go way back i grew up with cats um i was born into a family that had two um chunky black cats um with the little white dot on their Mm -hmm. on their chests they matched um and they both lived till they were like 17 or 18 so um I had cats throughout my entire childhood and we got our first dog when I was in fifth grade so from kind of fifth grade onwards I was in a multi-species household um, obviously, I wasn't a trainer at that point, but you know, it, it was, you know, living living the life of it. And then, um, since graduating college, I got barley in twenty seventeen, so a year after I graduated college. And starting around that time, I also fostered litters of kittens. Um, I've always really enjoyed working with bottle baby kittens in particular, um, and. Being in the shelter world, I often would get the kind of iffy bottle babies because they don't like sending those ones home to volunteers where they may not make it and then the volunteers get sad and, um, you know, uh, having a little bit more experience in wildlife in particular, you get used to losing some. And then beyond that, once I moved to Montana, so now we fast forwarded ahead to like 2020. um, And I actually, I had a boyfriend for about five years who was allergic to cats. So that really put a damper on the cat thing. (laughs) Um, But once he and I broke up, I started fostering cats again for the Humane Society of Western Montana. So Barley has um, endured multiple litters of kittens. And then Niffler has also now um, endured litters of kittens. And in most cases, recently so in the last year and a half or so I've also had the mom so I've been bringing home pregnant mama cats um so I've had to do the the adult cat and dog thing which is um I think generally harder Mm -hmm. than dealing with kittens yeah so yeah that's that's my dog cat um history I also I guess. It's worth mentioning that while I'm a certified dog behavior consultant, I've also done a lot of cat behavior consulting and a lot of cat dog intros where I'm guiding clients through that um, that process. So I've got a little bit more experience on that side of things as well.
0: Yeah, I think um, I'm really excited to talk to you primarily, I mean, because you have the kitten versus adult personal experience, mm-hmm. but also... I have so many clients coming to me because they have herding dogs and cats.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, a number of like healers or cattle dogs, like uh, mm-hmm. GSD type esque, like very focused animals. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they also have cats and they say, uh, we need help. And uh-huh. <laughs> so, I, which is shocking, shocking. Um, when you talk yeah, talking about, yeah. Animals. So, you also having, Hunting mm-hmm. dogs um I'm interested to hear about you kind of introducing these cats to Barley how you mm-hmm. did that if there was anything special or if he's like a unicorn border collie who doesn't care about chasing things I know he's <laughs> very sniffy um, he's very
1: sniffy yeah,
0: tell me about tell me about kind of your your experience with that
1: Yeah, so Barley's first, so I got Barley when he was three and a half. And to my knowledge, he was not in a household with cats previous to me. Um, I've been in contact with his old owner some, and he's mentioned kids and another dog, but he's never mentioned cats. So as far as I know, Barley's never been around cats. Um, And Barley is a dog who, if he sees a street cat that books it, he absolutely is interested in chasing um, but he is not a particularly herdy border collie. Mm. Um, he doesn't do a lot of the low, slinky, stocky, starey sort of stuff that border collies are so <laughs> known for. Yeah um, Niffler is a different story. He's very, very herdy. Um, very very like he um, he will self entertain for hours and hours and hours just staring at chickens. Um, like he will just freeze and stare at them for hours. Um, uh, (laughs) so yeah, when I was first introducing Violet Cats, um, with like our very first sets of fosters, our very first sets of fosters were bottle babies. And that I think helped because they went from functionally like hamsters (laughs) to kittens, um, that were basically living in a, in a large dog crate because that's how we kept them contained and safe um, to actually being kittens that were moving around the apartment mm-hmm. um, and Barley was I was able to kind of work with him through that so that's a really unique experience and I'm not sure how applicable that is to your average household unless you are taking on a litter of bottle, bottle babies and keeping one not necessarily useful as a transition but I did find that that It seemed to help Um, and then I think what that did was give him some experience with kittens before we did end up bringing in other older kittens. Um, With our adult foster cats, um, part of it has been leaning heavily into selecting the right cat for my household. Because the dogs are here first, that means we're selecting the right cat. Mm -hmm. Um, If the cat was here first, then I'd be thinking about selecting the right dog. Um, So when I, if the shelter shoots me an email or gives me a call, asking um, for help with a given foster. The first question I have, even though the foster coordinator knows me, is asking about um, how that cat is with dogs and how they expect that cat to be with dogs. Uh, Talking to the foster coordinator. um, Uh yeah, and in some cases, of course, the foster coordinators don't necessarily know. These cats often are strays, because usually they're calling me with a heavily pregnant female who's about to pop any day now. <laughs> um, and uh, in a lot of cases, they just don't know. Um, but I am really carefully selecting for cats that seem to be generally, like, cool and confident. Mm-hmm. Um And then what we're doing is I'm setting up the cat in the bathroom in turning my bathroom into a cat palace. Part of that is because, again, I'm bringing home pregnant mamas um, Mm -hmm. who need a nice, quiet space. Um, And especially with baby kittens, even though I trust both of my dogs with all sorts of small animals, um, you know, it's just so easy for accidents to happen when they're in that blind, deaf, mewling stage. Yeah. But that does a couple other things as well. That starts allowing the the cat and my dogs to smell each other, to hear each other, to get used to the presence of one another through that door at first, which is generally what I recommend to my clients if they're doing a slow introduction. And then um, once the kittens are old enough that this is safe, um, what I would do is add a baby gate that I actually lifted off the ground about six inches so that the cat could go underneath and come in and out as she wanted, but Barley could not get in. Um, and obviously, both of my dogs are physically capable of jumping a baby gate, but so far, knock on wood, neither of them has started. Um, they are very respectful of baby gates. Um, and then, what I do a lot of is I will sit on the leash, stand on the leash, hold the dog leash, and do a lot of look at that type games where I'm rewarding the dogs for disengaging from the cat Mm -hmm. as the cat comes out. So I may put um, some wet food on a licky mat or something so that the cat is stationary and likely to come out and the cat isn't doing anything that's making my dog's job harder. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sitting there with the dog and rewarding the dog for looking at the cat and then looking away. And then offering other behaviors and just trying to get to the point where the dog is frankly bored of the cat. Mm -hmm. And then over time we start building up to both of the animals watching each other while each animal is being more and more exciting. One of the things that I've found really important for both of my herding dogs as well as for my clients is doing everything we can to from preventing the cat from doing things that's going to set off the herding behavior even more. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it's about controlling the dog as well, but as soon as the cat is starting to play or run away in particular, and that kind of sets the dog off, it can be really hard to reel our herding dogs back in once they've kind of decided that something is worth hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can prevent that by ca- gradually and carefully introducing the dog to, okay, a cat is sitting here and eating. Okay, mm-hmm. the cat is walking from one place to another. Now... The dog is eating a Kong and the cat is playing, but the cat is really far away and then the cat is playing and closer and closer. Um, I usually am doing this alone. So I'm having to do a lot of figuring out, you know, as I said, wet food on a licky mat for the cat or, um, you know, having uh, having the dog working on a Kong while I'm getting the cat to move so that, um, you know, each animal is appropriately entertained and reinforced and distracted. While I'm managing the other animal, does that make sense? <laughs> it makes total sense,
0: and that's exactly what I recommend. Like I have a, a list yeah. of set up different like options mm-hmm. depending on the tendencies of each of the animals, right? Like if we have a dog mm-hmm. who's likely to be obnoxious and like chase, <laughs> then they're going to need slightly different setups than one who is scared of the cat, mm-hmm. for example, right? But all of those things, right? Like, you know. Sometimes you need more stationary activity. Sometimes you need more control yeah. equipment. And then, yeah, gradually moving up to whatever that, like, higher level trigger might be. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, and, and I've definitely, I mean, and I'm sure you've talked about this, but making sure that the cat has plenty of spaces that are safe for the cat that the dog can't get to. So whether that's elevated shelving or the bathroom. And I lived in a studio apartment, so the bathroom was more or less sufficient. mm mm-hmm because you never really were really very far from it. But if I had um, (laughs) more than 400 square feet, um, I would have um, added in more shelving or um, even the cats often would end up under my bed and Barley can get under the bed, but it's so much slower for him to get under there um, that they can obviously maneuver really easily under there and uh, that works just fine. Um, And then when we were introducing the kittens, generally what I would start doing is bringing the kittens out and introducing them to the dog with the kittens in my hand. Um, both of my dogs have demonstrated very, very low play- prey drive. Um, and that way, even before the kittens' eyes were open necessarily, they were getting used to the smell or even the touch of the dog's nose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dogs are getting used to the kittens before the kittens are mobile. Um, and one of the things I definitely saw with Barley was that he would get stressed out by being surrounded by kittens. <laughs> um <laughs> I have a lovely video that I can dig up and send to you of um, two kittens on the couch, trying to nurse on Barley's flank. And he's lying there and his, his eyes are huge. He's doing this like horrifying looking snarl. Um, And I just kind of like looked up from my book and saw this and I picked up both kittens and immediately you can see his face relax and you can see that he was trying to communicate to them. Hey, don't do that. Um, I'm not your mom, don't nurse off my butt. <laughs> um and uh, but they didn't notice, you know, they were way too young to to catch that interspecific communication. So I was able to move them away. Niffler, on the other hand, his problem is generally that he wants to play with the kittens. Um, and he's gentle, he's good, he self-handicaps. But he's still sometimes, you know, he'll get the zoomies and then it's just a matter of being like, okay, we're going to direct the 40 pound border collie away from the pound and a half kittens (laughs) Um, so that he doesn't just trip over them.
0: Yeah, especially if he's like, you know, gangly teenager, they don't know where their feet go.
1: No, yeah. The last litter of kittens that we had, he was about six months old. So he was all legs and no brains. And he <laughs> loved them. Like, I I need to get my dog a cat because he, like, it, it was the best, uh, the best time of his life, I think, um, when we had that litter of kittens. But there still was quite a bit of management, even though both my dogs really did like those cats. Yeah. So
0: I think the idea of like the different ages and stages of mm-hmm. the cats being super important. Um, I think, you know, even if you're not bringing in bottle babies, um, having a young kitten coming in, um, being, well, being socialized within a small, wonderful socialization window to having a dog around, um, usually mm-hmm. makes things easier, um, transition versus having an adult cat who, A, you might not have their history. You don't know what their, you know, what experience they've had with dogs. Um, but also really trying to, you know, they, they they might react differently. They're not going to like
1: learn. They may have stronger opinions.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, and a lot of people ask me that question, they say like, should I get a young kitten or should I get an adult cat? Um, And there's never a right answer, but what would you say would be the best advice for people who
1: ask? In my experience, it's easier to start with kittens, um, especially if you can get a young one. I think where we we get kind of tripped up, and this is the same for dogs as well, um, while developmentally a six or seven month old dog is still a puppy, um, or even a 10 month old dog is still a puppy, or a year and a half old dog is still a puppy... Um, and similarly with cats, I don't quite know exactly when you consider a cat an adult. Um, I know for dogs, it's generally about two or three, um, you don't get as much of a benefit if you're bringing home like a five month old kitten versus if you're bringing home a 10 week old kitten. Um, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing aside from, uh, you know, if we can get a kitten great, if we can get a, a cat with a known history with dogs, that's also good Um, just really looking at a cat that seems really confident and comfortable, um, in a variety of situations, Uh, you know, like the cats that seem really confident and happy go lucky in a shelter are probably going to adjust a lot better versus if you look, if you're looking at a cat that's, you know, hiding in its, in its stray box in the back of the corner, um you know but it's it's like gosh as you know it's so much about fit Mm -hmm. um if i've got a really shy tiny dog who may be scared of my cat i might actually be fine getting a cat that also is on the shy side but if i've got a boisterous lab puppy i'm probably best off bringing a really confident adult yeah um, who's going to be able to set and enforce their own boundaries as well um with your help of Yes, 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 of <laughs> course. Um, and that may be even better than bringing home a kitten in some situations because kittens can really set off um, some prey behaviors and you're just your margin for error is smaller with a kitten.
0: Yeah, I was going to say with kittens, you know, a lot of people, and, and puppies too, people make the mistake of being like, oh, it's a kitten. And so we'll just kind of like let it do its thing around the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and kittens are and puppies they're really annoying (laughs) right Uh so like if you know it's our job to regulate those interactions you can't just kind of lean on the fact that the it's a non-threatening little baby thing um Mm -hmm. because a lot of people then inadvertently reinforce really inappropriate interactions with the cat not understanding if the dog is asking for some space um because they mm-hmm. <laughs> grew up just not caring um and no one told them yeah. otherwise so I think that's um something to consider also it's not just like okay well we got a kitten and therefore like it's okay we can just kind of let them yeah. work it out um that's a big hurdle that some people <laughs> don't cross very well um so yeah Is there, um, when you're working with your clients who are trying to kind of navigate already established issues, um, Mm -hmm. what is the first thing that you ask them to, what information do you need in order to Mm -hmm. kind of figure out what the best way to help
1: these animals coexist? Yeah. Yeah. The first thing I'm looking at in any inter-household issue, whether it's dog, 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 cat, 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 um, is looking at safety and kind of trying to do an assessment of whether or not we think that this is a safe situation to even work on. Yeah. Um, because there have been cases where I've right off the bat said I don't think this is a safe situation to continue trying in. Mm-hmm. Um, and those may be cases where you know i'm trying i can't think of the details of the last time this happened but something along the lines of hey my sister gave me this cat because you know she was going through divorce whatever it is my dog has jumped the fence and killed three of the neighbor's cats in the last five years you know right. <laughs> i i don't think like we could make this work potentially there is of course, a chance that we can make this happen. Um, and I, I'm, I'm sure there have been success stories. Um, but that is just not a level of risk that I am comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I think that's always the, big, the first thing we're going to look at. And you may not have an example of your dog having literally killed a cat, um, but you may have a good idea based on past interactions with other animals or um, even breed tendencies can come into play and if we're seeing really intense fixation from the dog towards the cat um, that is one of the biggest things that I worry about Um, especially if we're pairing that with a lack of experience on both sides of the dog cat equation they both of them have not experienced the other species in the past Um, of course fixation can like you know define that. There's a lot of different ways that that can play out. And it could be fixation in a way of wanting to play. I've had clients with teenage dogs whose the teenage dog just would like lie at the other side of the baby gate and whine and wag and whine and wag. And it didn't seem like the dog had bad intent, but it's very overwhelming for the cat. So yeah, again, I mean, the biggest thing I'm looking at is safety. And part of that, again, it's how the dogs behaved, dogs' past behavior, um, and then also looking at a size discrepancy as well. You know, if we've got um, a boxer that seems really fixated on the cat, that is a more worrisome situation than if we've got a Shih Tzu who's really fixated on the, on the cat. Mm-hmm. Um, your cat just has a better chance of getting away from a Shih Tzu. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I almost said Jack Russell, um, but Terriers <laughs> are one of one of the breed groups that I would actually consider that a higher risk breed group mm-hmm. versus, again, like our toy breeds. Um, generally speaking, our herding breeds, because historically, if we think about what makes a good herding dog, any herding dog that's killing lambs was not bred. Right. Um, so in the genetic pool, we are more likely to have a herding dog who is non-injurious towards small animals versus terriers. What's a good terrier? A dog that independently seeks out, digs up, and kills things. Right. (laughs) You know, that's not always um that's not a great match. (laughs) Of course, people with terriers can have cats. Um but that's a bigger risk factor. Um and even some of our sporting breeds. Sorry, Mm go ahead. Well I was gonna say it's not to say that
0: herding breeds, even if they are not injurious were, are still not going to be stressful to the cat. It's still not like a good yes. <laughs> if, they are, if there's a chasing all the time, but yeah.
1: Right. And and like, I mean, I've, I've done herding training with um, both by dogs and, you know, biting at the animal that you're herding is not, not part of herding in some cases. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially, you know, if we're talking like a healer or something, they are bred to bite mm-hmm. at the heels of cattle and a bite that is appropriate for a cow is not appropriate for hurting the cat hurting the cat is probably not appropriate at all biting the cat is not appropriate at all and again even even in a situation in which it were the force of a bite that would be typical for a healer is calibrated for a cow right right entirely inappropriate for being around um, a cat so I don't know if I've answered your question. I've lost my turn of no, thought, but there's totally a lot of did. things I think about. <laughs> you totally did. It's, I mean, in general,
0: risk factors um, that are, you know, will give you a good sense of kind of what the quote unquote prognosis might be. Yeah. Um, and whether it's a good idea to pursue this in terms of like mm-hmm. a project that is worth working on for everyone's, Peace of mind, stress levels, peace in their home, right? All of those things um, might, it might be worth a a thought to say, you know what, it, this is not a project that I'm willing or able to take on and that's okay. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Yeah. those those first considerations, um, definitely the first line of defense. I want to go back to your example of the teenage dog who just wants to play so badly, right? I think this is actually a lot of cases that, Mm -hmm people just don't know what to do with that like overwhelming energy. And it seems as Mm -hmm. though a lot of the times those barriers that you need to have for the cat's sake make the dog's behavior worse because barrier frustration Mm -hmm. is a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a big thing. And so I run into a lot of people who are like, okay, I, I need to keep my cat safe. And yet my dog is losing his shit at the end of this leash or at the baby gate because he can't get to the cat in a play kind of way or an investigative. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to those people um, in terms of their management plan, but also just like Mm -hmm. how to move forward?
1: Um, My management plan for those, those sorts of dogs in particular really um, is generally going to involve at least two barriers. um, So that, and that can kind of diminish that barrier frustration. So if we've got the cat, there's a baby gate at one end of the hallway. And then at the other other end of the hallway is the cat's safe space in the guest room or the bedroom or the bathroom or whatever it is. And then that door is closed. Mm -hmm. That should help. Um, And that is basically what I would have set up when we are not in training mode, especially at first then as far as the actual training you know step one is going to be making sure that the puppy or teenage dog or even adult dogs exercise enrichment social needs are really well met before we start a training session
2: mm-hmm. so if you've
1: got a dog park dog i'm talking hit the dog park before you do a training session if you don't have a dog park dog which you know honestly most of us don't <laughs> um <laughs> uh have a date uh, a date with your dog's best friend um going out and doing a lot of training and again getting that like social play itch scratched mm. is going to be really helpful um well <laughs> uh, this is where it always gets tough um while keeping an eye on exhaustion we don't want the dog to be overtired and then we get like cranky toddler syndrome mm. you know anything which it is a term i just made up but i think everyone knows what it means <laughs> 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 um so okay before we even start the training we need to make sure that the dog is getting that social need that play um itch scratched um and then we're going to be separately from even working with the cat i want to practice a lot of skills of engaging with the handler and disengaging with distractions with a lot of things that are not the cat Mm -hmm. if your puppy teenage dog cannot ignore a bowl of food or a squirrel or his favorite toy or a favorite person while you're you know working on mat work or hand targets or something like that you don't need to introduce the cat yet because we know he's not ready yeah um so i have a game that i play with my clients called can you listen when which is just a proofing game (laughs) all it is is it's a really long list of distractions and i will start um i'll pick out a couple things with the client's help of hey these seem like appropriate things to really have as goals where if your dog again if your dog can't stay on his mat while this happens, or he can't walk on a leash past this, we're not ready to do cat work yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we're we continuing to build up the dog's ability to engage with you and disengage from distractions before we add in the cat. Um, and then we're going to do, you know, the same thing we do with all of our other situations where we've got the cat behind a barrier or up um up in a really elevated cat tree or something, somewhere where the cat feels safe and not trapped. And then we're going to be rewarding the dog for disengaging from the cat at whatever distance that's possible for the dog. And I know this gets really tricky if we're in small apartments. I've lived, everywhere I've lived for the past three years has been under 400 square feet. And probably everywhere I've lived in the last four years has been under 400 square feet. So like, I get it, it's tough. (laughs) Um, and that's where those foundation skills are really helpful because that will start lowering the dog's threshold mm-hmm. so that, it, you know, if the dog can handle disengaging from a squirrel outside, the better they get at that. In all likelihood, that should transfer over to being able to handle the cat inside your apartment or smaller space. Um, we can also use visual barriers to our advantage if we can't have, um, if we can't have enough space in between them for the dog to really be successful. Um, And then I do a lot of, a lot of really basic stuff, you know, like I'm not asking the dog to stay on their mat and stare at me while the cat moves around. I'm asking, Hey, can you eat with the cat here? And if you can't, we are too close mm-hmm. and you need to work more on the skill of disengaging and eating. I'm not going to starve a dog for that. Um, I, that is a really common piece of advice that's also given is just make your dog hungry enough. Um, I'm not going to do that. Hunger does not make anyone think better. It does not make anyone less crabby. Um, <laughs> and it's just not part of my training repertoire to um, make dogs hungry. Um, yeah. And, you know, again, from, from all the antecedent arrangement that i've talked about then going forward it's a lot of um, you know the same stuff we're doing with all of our other dog cat introductions scent swapping ideally having the cat really still as well as parts of this and then sometimes in some cases i ha- if the cat seems really relaxed so i had a case recently where the cat as we were doing this the dog was like scrabbling at the end of the leash And whining and doing a full body tail wag, like really being pretty obnoxious and pushy. Um, The cat was on the other side of the baby gate, like two feet away, lying on her side, all four limbs stretched out. Her ears are relaxed. Her face Mm -hmm. is soft. And she's just looking. You know, and in that case, um, I was meeting with them over Zoom. And I was like, hey, I'm going to ask you to do something a little scary that I wouldn't normally do. We're just going to let the dog go say hi. Mm -hmm. We're just going to rip the Band-Aid off. Because the dog isn't exhibiting the behavior that we want, but what I'm seeing from the cat is telling me that the cat is not freaked out enough. Right. Or the cat is so not freaked out that we're going to see if just satiating the curiosity is going to do this for this dog, and it did. Um, but again, it was it was looking pretty specifically at that case, um, and that cat was just giving me every signal possible that she. Was not worried.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was just gonna say it. You know, I can just hear all the people saying, "Well, you know, taking it really slow with the dog and having these double barriers and like making sure that they have all those skills underneath their belt." But what if my cat is like freaking out that they want to get out, <laughs> right? If, yeah. if the cat is the is the one who's like has also a might also have very frustration, might be needing to just explore the territory. Have a life right <laughs> yeah, um, you know like balancing those two sides of the barrier um yeah. in this particular situation like i i find when i have uh, a dog who is i, I do call it them obnoxious right like they just don't read social signals well they are mean it's it's pro social to the extreme um just like super curious um, if I have two obnoxious animals, like I'm actually going to try as hard as I can to like decrease the barriers as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. So like mm-hmm. with, while keeping everybody safe, but really like I'm not going to be trying to take it as slow
2: <laughs> as if yeah. everyone's
0: like happy on their sides of the gate and like they're just having, you know, small, you know, short interactions throughout the day. It, it's less urgent when there is not, consistent stress made by the man yeah Um, yeah
1: in my experience too it seems like the restricted space and the divided household is much harder if the cat is the current resident if you've just adopted a cat and brought it home from the shelter odds are your bathroom is a pretty big upgrade from the shelter and they seem overall to take to that better versus if you have a cat and then you get a dog mm then trying to restrict your cat to the much smaller space seems in general to be really upsetting to the cat.
0: That is such a good
1: point. Um, Yeah. So, you know, considering who's there first, um, you know, I'll I'll also try, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's, it's just doing what we can, Mm -hmm. but you know, maybe when the dog is out on a hike or on their walk, we give the cat more space again, doing a lot of play therapy with the cat. Um, and doing as much as possible that they give the cat as much space as possible maybe if the dog sleeps in a crate in your bedroom at night we let the cat out of and just give them the rest of the house yeah. you know doing a lot of those things which also tend to benefit as scent swapping
0: right yeah so. that's really that's a really good point I I hadn't thought about it that clearly of like okay well in terms of quality of life or, or just like general routine right (laughs) you know the cat has had experience with this whole house and then their territory has gotten shifted um when this new intruder has come in into play um Mm -hmm. but especially like i mean with young cats too though even if they are the new ones like they're gonna want out much quicker (laughs) they're like i (laughs) i have things to do places to go um Mm -hmm. So yeah, it can be really hard to balance all of those things, um, keeping everybody as stress-free as possible, but you touched on, mm-hmm. you know, like as, as much enrichment as you possibly can, um, yeah. until you kind of have to rip the band-aid off and say, okay, like there's a lot of signs that things are, are okay, are going to be okay. Um, yeah. it can be scary to make that first mm-hmm. leap, um
1: Yeah, I feel like I'm often the sort of person who hires me for dog cat introductions tends to be someone who's very cautious. Um, <laughs> so they're already kind of in that bucket, but I find I I often end up in a situation where I'm kind of having to coax them into like I think we're ready now. I really do. I think I think we should give it a shot. Um, and I think because those people, you know, again, we're we're just getting like an unusual part portion of the pet parent community that hires you for introductions you know again especially if someone's hiring me for introductions and they don't already have an issue mm. or they don't already have a very serious reason to believe that there will be an issue those those pet parents tend to be on the very cautious side so that is yeah, like hey you know we're really like it's I, everything i'm seeing says this is going to be okay let's go ahead and give it a shot yeah Yeah, I,
0: (laughs) you're right. It's, it's the, I find that I have wonderfully self-selecting clients, um, who all have this behavioral repertoire of caring very, very much about their Mm -hmm. animals, um, which is great. Um, but really needing kind of permission to, let go of their own stress, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. try to be a little, feel a little less guilty about their animals experiences um, and kind of taking a leap of faith sometimes. But yeah, I mean, body language is a huge thing, right? Having someone else who is not in that stress bubble of like, oh my God, my animals are going to kill each other someone who knows body language, looking at that and saying, you know what? It looks like all systems are go should be okay. Right. Especially if there's like a baby gate in the middle. Right. And you're just like letting Mm -hmm. that, just that initial sniff happen. Um, You just, you might need a a third, second set of eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of, your experiences with um cat dog clients who have come to you Mm
2: -hmm.
0: is there if there wasn't an obvious kind of like this is red flags at the beginning (laughs) right that we've already kind of talked about and you've embarked on a kind of Uh, training plan you've done all the management enrichment all that fun stuff that we've already discussed Mm -hmm. have there been times where you just say you know what we've tried and this is just not gonna work
1: to be honest I haven't but I don't think that's um (laughs) <laughs> a testament of my uh expertise uh necessarily <laughs> I I probably only had 10 or 15 dog cat introduction cases total
2: mm-hmm.
1: so so far they have all worked out at the end but I have had a couple cases that it was it was a lot of dedication it was mm-hmm. a lot of work can you talk um, about uh kind of what you had to work through Yeah, so one one that comes to mind, which I think was actually my first dog-cat introduction case, um, was a smallish dog. I can't remember exactly what the breed was, um, that had a lot of kind of general big feelings about the world. This dog was reactive to cars and people and humans, generally a really stressed out little guy. Gosh, I wish I could remember what the breed was because um, he was their second. They had another older um, dog of the same breed um, and, um, and then they had a cat um, and they were living um, they had a finished basement and they had relegated the cat to the finished basement and they were trying to spend basically what they would do is um, it was a, a couple and one of them would work from home downstairs and one would work from home upstairs and they would kind of split their time um, between them and it was working pretty well, but they just, they were having the hardest time getting them introduced. Um, And we did a lot. uh, We actually ended up, even though they were only a couple miles from me, we ended up working remotely because my presence was so stressful for this dog. Mm -hmm. Because again, he had so many triggers and so many big feelings. The cat was not the problem in the situation, other than the fact that the cat had really learned that this dog was not a cool dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We trusted yeah. Yeah. And they would, one of the other things this family was doing that did help as well was the dog, the older dog and the cat still got along really well and they would do visitations mm. <laughs> between the two of them. Um, so they were still getting some social time. Um, oh, you know what? They were Yorkies or silkies. Um, so they were terriers, but also toy breeds, mm-hmm. you know, at that weird intersection of terrier and toy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> We ended up doing pretty much what I've talked about, where we were doing a lot of play therapy with the cat, a lot of making sure his needs were being met. Um, And then we ultimately had quite a bit of success. We would feed the cat his meals on top of the washer. And that um, elevated um, setup seemed to help make the cat feel a lot safer. The dog was able to kind of recognize that the cat was off limits there. And um, that works better than having the cat at the other side of a baby gate. So we did a lot of our work with the cat elevated. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was one of those situations where, you know, I we basically knew the cat wasn't going to jump down and make a mistake for himself because he was not dumb. Uh, <laughs> uh, he was not, a cat. I feel like, I, I don't know if you've seen this. I feel like some cats genuinely do like just have a lack of self-preservation or they're really confident or something. And they just, or they're just like, will... let's see
0: what happens. You know, it's just like,
1: yeah. And, and again, you know, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes I like that. You know, with my dogs, I like that sort of cat because it works out really well. But first, sometimes I'm like, are you trying to get yourself hurt right yeah. now, buddy? Um, <laughs> this cat wouldn't do that. Um, so we were able to use kind of the elevated barrier um, because he was uh, he wasn't going to jump down, and we had the the terrier on leash as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if something were to happen. A, the cat actually weighed more than the terrier, <laughs> and B, um, we had some control over him. And similarly, I believe if I remember right, this case was four years ago. Um, there was just a day where where they the cat just the cat decided he was ready to do an introduction, and it went fine. Yeah, but they had been working for like six months on like getting the dog to a point where the dog was not reacting really strongly because the dog was also he was kind of fearful. There was a lot of barking, a lot of growling, a lot of you know, it wasn't it wasn't prey ish. He was with this just like, dog. get
0: the fuck away from me.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this dog was this dog was a piece of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I wish I had like I, I know I've got really detailed notes on this case somewhere because I actually did Back when I hosted the Canine Conversations podcast, this case study was one of our first ever case studies that we published on the podcast. It's like episode three or four. Oh, we um, should link to it. Yeah, we should link to it. And, you know, then listen to that and believe whatever it is I say in that because I had notes in front of me for that, <laughs> that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking um, I, have a, I have a club member right now who's... This is this is indicative. Uh, it's an example of a lot of issues that um, come up, but that we use a lot of food when we're working on all of these skills and setups. And when the cat, well, when either of the animals is so food motivated that they will push themselves into the danger zone in case yeah. they might be able to get to food, and then they're like, "Oh wow, I am super duper close!" And then they either freak out and run or they say, okay, well I've gotten myself here and now I just have to fight it out. (laughs) Um, it's, there's so many factors that can go into uh, them making poor choices. Um, so it's up to us to keep that management in place to make sure that Mm -hmm. we can guide them to, make as few mistakes as possible and provide them with yeah. if they're food motivated and that's what they want. Then they get their food on the other side of wherever they're ugh, supposed to be. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: One thing that I have started doing, and you can tell me whether you do this too, is um, using, I only use two kinds of markers. It tends to be like the easiest thing for pet parents, right? Where one of them means, okay, you're going to come get your food from near me. And the other one is I'm going to bring the food to you. And those, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so for those animals who are like must food all the time. Right. And they like get, I have one of the cats that I'm thinking of is just like a little food. Um, and she's like, I will die for this piece of kibble over there. Um, when we taught her, that she just has to sit on her mat and wait for that marker. That means the food is coming Mm. to you. There was no reason for her to be so magnetized to whatever food the dog was getting. Um, right? And it was just, it was like magic, just that change. Right. We didn't actually like work that much on, um, you know, engage disengage or anything with her. It was really just like that, Magnetization towards that da- <laughs> that danger um, that was overrun by what she <sighs> self preservation. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have. a I should link to a video. Um, yeah, I'll I'll link to it in the show notes where like the dog is in the crate and she's like creeping up because the dog is getting cookies for looking at her, and the poor dog is like oh my god (laughs) like it's it's coming it's coming and then obviously yeah and she's like what the hell um yeah it's she just wanted kibble I
1: mean come on oh my god girly 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 we've got we've got better stuff exactly we can do better still over there you're fine yeah (laughs) yeah it's totally Uh, yeah
0: but um making I think I don't even know where I'm going with this but what i find is really important is trying to find the balance between setting up the situation so that the animals can figure out how to interact with each other appropriately
2: mm-hmm.
0: on their own while we are then just guiding the situation yeah. um micromanagement tends to not work very well mm-hmm. and also the flip side of just like quote-unquote letting them work it out doesn't work well I feel like there's a really, right there there's to a, balance a balance in there
1: somewhere yeah well and I think I mean you know we've circled around this point a couple of times and you know obviously for your listeners who already have a dog and a cat that they're trying to introduce um you may not have this option you know or if you're trying to mix households or something like that um, you know, just getting a different dog is not, <laughs> not, <laughs> not an option for a lot of our listeners. Yeah. Um, but so much of it is finding that good match. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, while I'm not advocating having them work it out, I do want a cat that can set their own boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I want a dog who can read and respect those boundaries. And I want a cat who's confident enough. To hang with a high energy dog. And I also don't necessarily want a dog who is going to try to wrestle <laughs> uh, my cat all the time. You know, I want to get a dog who can figure out how to play appropriately in a way that doesn't is fair to the cat. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's, I feel like it's tough to talk about that without sounding like you're advocating having them work it out or having, you know, like when I say have the cat set their own boundaries, I'm not saying I'm not there for backup right nice. especially early on like i am there i am supervising i am ready to help mm-hmm. um but a lot of times it's more effective if you step back a little bit and yeah like let the cat tell the dog no yeah. um you know again like uh, there it's there's so much nuance to that yeah. but you know yeah. i th- i think at this point if i'm sure this isn't the first episode for many of your listeners like they <laughs> Hopefully they know all of this. Um. <laughs> Hope so.
0: If you haven't, listen to all the other ones, guys. Subscribe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Rate, subscribe, and all that fun. Review and subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I think the way I like to explain it to people is, like, we're trying to teach the animals what the other one is saying when they do X, Y, and Z. So, like, yeah. if the cat is showing mild stress signals, but obvious, right? If the dog doesn't get it, then it's up to us to recall the dog, Mm
2: -hmm. whatever,
0: reinforce the cat for that appropriate communication and basically be teaching the dog that when that cat does Mm -hmm. this, it means move away or stop what you're doing or go find something else to do or whatever it means. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, as the facilitators, need to be looking at the body language of both both animals and really trying to, like, pick out, like, what are those dictionary entries that my cat tends to do when she's feeling cranky, right? Like, not every cat is going to do the exact same thing when they're a little bit miffed. Not every dog is going to do the exact same thing, right? Some of them might freeze. Some of them might, like, move forward in a freaky kind of way I mean, there's many different things mm-hmm. that that you know, right. do and so it's up to us to know our animals look for those signs and then translate them basically for mm-hmm. the animals by reinforcing appropriate behaviors and then once those are on board watching to stepping back and watching to see whether you know the animals have learned <laughs> what those words mean um, mm-hmm. And yeah, if they, if they mess up, then we, you know, cue the behaviors that we would rather them do instead, you know, but, you Mm -hmm. know, giving that, that extra pause of like, did you see that that cat just was bad? Um, you did great. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Like you wouldn't have done that, you know, a week ago or whatever it is. Right. Um, That's where we're, what our goal is not to just let them figure it out. Right sometimes yeah I
1: mean and like in that example of um those kittens uh bothering Barley by Mm. trying to nurse him (laughs) um you know so much of that was also just being like oh my gosh these are like five or six week old kittens
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know they were old enough that I had them they were they were getting they were getting free range of the apartment when I was home and supervising but they were nowhere near old enough to pick up on body language and especially that interspecific communication if I remember right Barley was not vocalizing he wasn't right. growling right he was hard staring with his teeth bared
0: and if they're nursing and they're not looking at it
1: they didn't see it yeah <laughs> no. no way and even if they had I don't think they would have I don't think they were anywhere near old enough or experienced enough to, be able to do anything about it so you know just scooping them up and getting them out of there that didn't need to be a learning experience for nope. anyone other than a learning experience for Barley that like hey, I'm here for you, dude. Like, (laughs) don't worry about it. I know they're being annoying. They're like making biscuits on your butt. (laughs) My bad. I shouldn't have let them do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think the, the, the everyone being trustworthy, I think is like the, the name of learning like that, you know, everyone's got each other's back.
2: (laughs) Um,
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I think again, for me remembering that, you know, I think, I can totally imagine plenty of dog owners scolding their dog in that moment Mm. or being upset at the dog for threatening a baby Mm -hmm. or, you know, some other phrase similar to that. And, you know, that's that's not how I look at it at all. It was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for such an appropriate um (laughs) correction when you were so upset thank you for not biting them in the head right (laughs) you know because that is that is absolutely one of those situations that if I had not been there and been on top of it and Barley had been a different dog he could have easily killed both of those kittens Mm -hmm. with a single you know not even trying to eat them (laughs) you know they were just you know they they were like a pound each yeah yeah (laughs) you know he disembowels squeaky toys twice their size once a week (laughs) Totally. Uh, Yeah.
0: That's a really, really good point is not just noticing whatever the body language is, but appreciating it for the communication that it is rather than trying to put our feelings into it. Like, obviously Mm -hmm. we want everyone to get along. And so when we see stress signals or indications of some conflict, like we want to, we just want to stop it. (laughs) Um, <laughs> that tends to be like yeah. <laughs> our natural instinct, but that's where you know it needs it needs to happen. Otherwise, then there's no warning signs, and then everything goes to you know is really scary. Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. reinforcing and yet everyone loves to say like you know love the growl, you love a growl, you um,
2: mm-hmm.
0: love a hiss. I love hisses. I love swats mm-hmm. even with no claws. Um, yeah. I'm like, punch him, great. That's really yeah. obvious to me <laughs> that you are
1: pissed. Yeah, I mean, and I feel like for for a lot of dogs, like I've definitely watched my younger dog Niffler experiences. The first time a cat hissed at him, he was kind of like, whoa, whoa, what's that? Yeah. You know, he was, he was excited by it almost. And then he got booped on the nose and then he was like, oh, oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I see, you know? And, and I think, you know, that's those are some of the learning experiences that I'm talking about when I'm saying, Hey, it's okay to have them communicate a little bit between each other. Is I don't, I don't know if my six month old puppy would have understood that a hiss was a, Hey, get out of my face signal. If it hadn't at some point been backed up with, a, you know, a nice little boob on the nose mm-hmm. from the cat, not from me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Making sure everyone understands not from you. Yeah. The, the, important thing would be to after the experience of hiss then boop on the nose and he it seems like he gets it okay the next time he hears a hiss what does he do right if he doesn't back off at the hiss then it's our it behooves us to yeah then, then we need to reinforce yeah. it yeah um because some of them you know they'll have that experience I have a few <laughs> cases in the back of my mind right now where it's like he gets booped every day he gets smacked every day and he keeps coming back for more like mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't seem to get it i'm like well we need that we need to teach what that yeah. means <laughs> it's clearly not punishing yeah. enough from the cat um to mm-hmm. change
1: and that. we don't want to force the cat into a situation where the cat has to do more both for you know the cat's stress level so that's not fair and also for the dog safety because cat bites. Oh man, can be nasty. Yeah, totally. Yeah,
0: <sighs> there is so much nuance to all of this. It really depends on each individual animal how they tend to react to things and the combinations between them, and really just knowing your animals um, and being able to help them navigate the craziness mm-hmm. of living with a thing that they're not sure about what it is and how it works. And, um, I, I appreciate your, um, bringing your experiences to the table and Mm -hmm. letting everyone know about different sides of these things, especially from the fostering side, people, um, ask about, you know, can I foster if my dog doesn't have any cat experience? Um, Mm -hmm. so this has been really helpful also for people um, who might be thinking about wanting to bring in some foster kittens and being a little unsure about how to work that out. So thank you so much for chatting. And if you want to be contacted, um, if anyone wants to say, Oh my gosh, Kayla, this was great. How can I get in touch with you? What's the best way to contact you?
1: Social media is probably going to be the best. So um, I am on Instagram at Collies Without Borders, and that is definitely my most active social media. We are also on TikTok at Canine Conservationists, uh, Twitter at Kayla Frat. Unfortunately, they're all different. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Facebook is Journey Dog Training or Canine Conservationists. Um, so you just do yeah. a lot of things. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and so I'm trying to get everything over to being canine conservationist. So that'll work everywhere except for Twitter. Um, but for the context of this, I'd rather have you reach out to me through journey dog training. So that one, um, I just have to throw in there and then Twitter canine conservationist is too long and Twitter wouldn't let me have that as my handle. So I had to use Kayla Frat.
0: Ugh, technology, the worst.
1: No, I know. <laughs> it's very minor. It's very minor, but it's very upsetting to me.
0: So I'll link all of those different things in the show notes so people can choose their, uh, choose their own adventure with contacting you. Um, and I would love to ask one more question before we Mm -hmm. end, which is if you had to bring, (laughs) would you ever given your situation living in an even smaller space now with your two dogs (laughs) than the 400 square foot apartment, would you ever bring in a cat?
1: I wouldn't. Um, (laughs) So I currently live in a sprinter van. I believe it's about 80 square feet. Um, And most of that is the cab. And then my living space is about one third kitchen counter, two thirds floor. And then there's a bed. Um, so I've thought about it. I fell truly madly deeply in love with a cat um, in March of 2021. And um, this was actually right before I bought the van. And um, I was going to adopt that cat. Um, and then I actually got i, I got sniped um, at the shelter. Um, I was working at the shelter. And um, someone else managed to get a hold on him while he was still on stray hold. Um, which is, was a, a glitch in the computer system. It shouldn't have been allowed to happen. But anyway, mm-hmm. if I had brought that cat home, I would not have gotten a van. Um, and a big part of that is actually the litter box situation. Mm. Um, I do not understand how I would have a cat in a van, um, given the, like a litter box situation. Um, I understand I could potty train the cat to go outside. Um, but that just seems really difficult challenging Mm -hmm. um and there are situations in which i would not necessarily feel safe or comfortable bringing a cat out on a leash for the cat's potty break um just because there are so many roving dogs Mm -hmm. um and i'm able to do that with my dogs so there are just some logistical things it's not necessarily the space and i mean i guess the reason i can't have a litter box is the space um and i would certainly if i were to be in a van with a cat i would need a cat that was was leash trained and could come outside with me because it is just not enough space for a, a, a rich and a proper social life for an animal.
0: Yeah. I I just wanted to add that question in there because yeah.
1: <laughs> we didn't talk at all about the fact that I live in like, I don't know if it's possible to have a functional li- living space that's any smaller than mine. <laughs> <laughs> van life
0: <laughs> is a whole nother podcast i
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you're you're always you're doing so much awesome stuff mm-hmm. and i think that you're the coolest person ever um oh, so <laughs> i appreciate again you coming in talking to me and i know everyone's going to get a lot of value from this conversation so
1: yeah thank you so much for having me on